Well, today we're going to continue uh, looking at the different structures of Jewish worship, in particular looking at the Passover Seder, the Passover meal and, and rite that went with uh, uh, the Passover meal. After the, after the session, I'm going to pass this around. Um, I found this here. I, I had never seen one before. Um, do you know what this is? Yeah, I found it in a box down at the bottom of the stairs, and I just took it. I saw upstairs looks great. Somebody was very busy bee up there, so it looks fantastic up there. Thank you for that. But it has a spot for um, uh, for an, an egg and parsley and lettuce and um, uh, charlosis. I don't know what that is. Um, a different herb and bitter herbs, and so it's it's all the different parts of the the lit, the, the ritual to be presented on a particular plate for the Passover Seder is, is what I'm guessing this is. So, uh, so I'm going to hand that around and you see some Hebrew script around the edge and things like that. Yeah, I found it upstairs. Yeah, it could have been in a prop one time teaching about the Seder or if you ever hosted a Seder here. Yeah, I've I've kind of looked through some of the stuff up there. It's, it's I like the words "group now" over out on by toward the Christmas decorations. It's good, and I pulled out a couple of the things that are. Right. <laughs> All right, I agree. <laughs> yes. This was something that also those who were not Jews would also have celebrated. Now, table fellowship is a very simple concept. It means that people who have things in common, in other words, synapses are coming together to do something in common, that people who have something in common are going to express that at a table, at a meal. And one of the ways in which they did this in the ancient world was they would come together and they would first have some teaching or some table talk. And then they would celebrate the intimacy they had as a community by having a meal together. Now in some cases, this was a very formal meal. And yet at other times, this was something that would not have had as formal a character to it. Now, this should not be something that surprises us, because we have a way of understanding how we express community, fellowship together, intimacy, by coming together for a common meal. In our country, we do it every year at Thanksgiving. We find that to be one of the great common meals that we celebrate as a culture, and we even have food that is specifically ordained for that day. Now, I would guess most of you have turkey on Thanksgiving. Other meals are important too. Birthdays, anniversaries, Christmas. Now, there are, depending upon the place you live, certain customs of food at Easter. I'm a New Englander. Where I come from, we always have lamb. And when I married my wife, who was from Portland, Indiana, a Midwesterner, 
I went to my first Easter with my with my wife's family, um, I thought we were celebrating a Gentile feast because we had ham. And I said at dinner, I said, this is great because this morning in the Easter worship, we sang at the ham's high feast, we sing. <laughs> now we have lamb at our house because we are we are good we are good Jewish Christians and celebrate the, the Pascha with the eating of a lamb. One of the other things that you probably are familiar with, not only in your own table fellowship, but in the table fellowship of, of many cultures, is that when you do come together, you just don't eat. You talk. And the conversation is very important to the meal itself. And that's one of the reasons why we have saved them by means of blood, the blood of the lamb over the door of the, the houses of Jews so that the angel of death would pass over. Now this once a year celebration was a family meal. And the host of the family would be the father, the pater familias, the father of the family. And he would gather his family together having gone and got his lamb at the temple as we said before and had it sacrificed there. And he would sit his family down at the table to celebrate this wonderful expression of their, their salvation they had together as Jews. Now here you can see a very brief outline of the Passover Seder. The Passover began by the Father giving a blessing for the day. And this would have been the way in which they would open many meals. Giving thanks to God or blessing Him, which is what Jews did. Blessing Him for having given them this wonderful day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, what they also called the Passover. Then the Father would take the first cup, the ritual cup, a cup of wine, and He would bless it. And he would thank God for the fruit of the vine. And in some ways, by means of this blessing, he would be toasting God, saying, here's to you, O Lord, that you have given us this wonderful drink to facilitate our celebration of the, the common salvation we have together here as people of God. And then, having blessed this first cup, the table would be set with the food. Now, this is a meal where there are specific foods that are eaten. Things such as unleavened bread, and bitter herbs, and of course the lamb. Now, as part of this meal, the food would have what is called midrash, interpretation. The word midrash simply means to explain, or to interpret the meaning of something. And 
And what would be interpreted here would be the food. Why are there bitter herbs? Because of the bitterness of our journey. Why unleavened bread? Because we needed to get away quickly. Why the lamb? Because this reminds us of the blood that the Messiah is going to come and shed one day for the sins of the world. Because he gave us this salvation years ago and this promise. After interpreting this food, which is a way of telling the story of God's salvation, the father of the family would then tell the story the of the Exodus. That's why I In the Hebrew, it would be called the Haggadah, or the Haggadah, which simply means a narration. And here the narration would be the story of the Exodus. Now, most Jews did not have a copy of the whole Bible available to them. So they had to have this by memory. And they would, they would simply tell the story here by means of the way in which the story had always been told. It wouldn't be an exact rendition of what one would find in the scriptures, but it would be the scriptures now spoken and interpreted by the father of the family. When the Exodus story was over, and this part of the, the Passover Seder would be where the teaching at the table would take place about why we are by means of this wonderful deliverance, which this night remembered. It would be a toast to the Exodus, and to God's salvation in that Exodus. And then having done that, he would then pick up the unleavened bread, he would bless it, as he would, you know, bless any bread at any meal, then he would break it, and he would give it to them, which would be the start of the feast. There, in the breaking of the bread, the meal starts. And they would eat the food now that had been laid on the table. After the supper, when he would say the grace after the meal, he would pick up the third ritual cup of the, of the feast, called the cup of blessing, and he would give, give thanks over this cup because God now has given in this meal a remembrance of the salvation that the, the Israelites understood to be the highlight of God's activity among them as Savior. And this would then bring the meal to a close. Now this Passover meal would be once a year. And most Jews would try to get to Jerusalem, to the temple, at least once in their life, to celebrate this Passover meal in Jerusalem. Now the synagogue liturgy that we spoke about before, which would take place usually outside of Jerusalem, would be every Sabbath, and the Jews would try to get to that every Sabbath. But to get to Jerusalem to the Passover meal in Jerusalem would be at least once a year. Now, on the right-hand side here, I have an example of what is called the Sabbath Seder, which is the meal that would be celebrated by the Jews every Friday night. Now what this is, is a mini Passover service, shrunk down and offered every week in the family to remind them once a week of the Passover lamb, or to, to speak it in Christian words, to remind them of the lamb who was going to be slain for them, the Messiah. Back when I was a child, living in New England, in a very um, uh, 
prominent Roman Catholic community, Roman Catholics used to recognize Friday as the day in which our Lord died by not eating meat. Now, perhaps some of them forgot that's why they didn't eat meat on Friday. But the original re reason why they didn't eat meat on Friday was to remember the Lord's death on that day. Jews did the same thing on their Sabbath evening, which would have been their Friday night, as we said before. They would remember the blood of the Lamb. They would remember the Passover meal. Now, our Lord, as he traveled from Sabbath to Sabbath, from synagogue to synagogue to teach, he would spend a Sabbath evening Seder with whoever invited him to preach at the synagogue liturgy that next day, or that very day, that next morning, I should say. And what Jesus would engage in with his people as he went from place to place would be table fellowship, where there would be teaching at the table plus the meal itself. And the third aspect, of course, of Jesus's table fellowship is that you have the real presence of Christ at the table. Now look at this meal here. It is here that if you had a visiting dignitary like Jesus, you could have him teach at the table. And if you look here at the life of our Lord, you will see that during his life, he spends time in meals with people. During his Galilean ministry, that is before he turned his face to go to Jerusalem, Jesus has a number of meals with people. For example, he eats with the Pharisee when the sinful woman comes and anoints his feet. There he is with one of the religious leaders of Israel when he is teaching at the table, which is usually, of course, a teaching about the kingdom and always about himself, and where he would break bread with them. The climax of Jesus' Galilean ministry is in the feeding of the 5,000, where, if you read what it says, he is first teaching them about the kingdom of God, and then when they are all gathered there, he feeds them in a miraculous way. During his um, Jerusalem ministry, he climaxes that ministry by having the last Passover that was ever celebrated with his disciples, which is where he institutes the Lord's Supper. Now, perhaps the best way about talking about that Passover, that act of table fellowship in his Jerusalem ministry, is to not call it a Passover, but to call it Jesus's Passover. Because what Jesus would now do at the host at the table on that night in which he was betrayed was celebrate the Passover in a way that it had never been celebrated before. Because what he would do now, and you can read this in John 13 and following, is he would interpret this meal in terms of himself. I am the Passover lamb. This bread, take eat. This is my body given for you. And likewise, after the supper, he took the cup, gave thanks. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Now, how do we know that it was this cup and not the cup of redemption? Because Paul tells us, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not communion with the blood of the Lord? 
when he institutes the Lord's Supper here, our Lord is present there in what we would call his local presence, mean he is present there as you and I are now present. But he was also present sacramentally. That is, he was present in the, the, the bread that he gave them and in the cup of wine that he gave them to drink. After he rose from the dead, in his first appearance to his disciples on the road to Emmaus, he teaches them on the road, and then he opens their eyes in the breaking of the bread. Another example of his table fellowship, where he teaches, and then he breaks bread with them. And then, of course, after Pentecost, the first things the disciples do after Peter's sermon, it tells us they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship in the breaking of bread. Those two things go together. How do we have fellowship? It's in the breaking of bread. And then, of course, to prayers. Now, what we have there in the table fellowship of Jesus, all the way through his ministry, are these two structures of teaching and meal, what come to be known in the Christian church as word and sacrament. Now, what the liturgy really is, is nothing more and nothing less than table fellowship with God, in which our Lord is present in the teaching of his word and in the celebration of his meal. Now, that presence is different depending upon where he is in his ministry. It's a local presence, or it's an illocal presence, or a sacramental presence, and now, of course, it is a sacramental presence. But it is the same Lord who is present in each case. Now, this is something the Jews would have understood, not only from the Passover meal, but from the covenants that God cut with them. That's what covenant means, to cut. And what it means to cut a covenant is to cut an animal in two. A covenant is when an animal would be cut in half, and the two parts of the animal that were cut in half would be laid aside one another. And if you and I were going to cut a covenant together, which means we were going to bind ourselves to an agreement, each one of us would walk through the middle of those two cut animals. And we would say to one another, that if we were to break the agreement, the covenant that we had, then we could render the one who broke it like that animal, cut him in two. Now, when the Lord would cut a covenant, he would be the one who would pass through. And in the covenant cut with Abraham, for example, it's a blazing, smoking pot that passes through there because it's a covenant between God and man, and God alone is the one who goes through there. When you cut an animal, and you have the two sides there, you wouldn't let that animal rot. You would eat it. So whenever there was a cutting of a covenant, there was always food that accompanied that covenant. And so from the beginning, the people of God understood, with the cutting of covenants, with the Passover meal, with the meal and table fellowship with Jesus, that God had bound himself to them in the context of a meal. Now, when we gather together in a place like this to hear his teaching and receive his sacrament, we are engaging in table fellowship with God. And as you know, both 
the book of Revelation and other parts of the scripture speak about our eternal worship of God as being, and I'm quoting here a prayer from the liturgy, the marriage feast of the Lamb in his kingdom which has no end. And so from these Jewish origins of Christian worship, we have a very good example of how Christian liturgy is nothing more and nothing less than coming together to hear God's word and then coming together to receive God's meal. It is a foretaste of the heavenly feast, a rehearsal of what we will be doing eternally. cut those kids short. So. All right. Clear this out of there a little bit so I don't run into it or over it or through it or around it. All right. So the divine service, the, the liturgy that we celebrate here in the, in the Christian church, is really a reflection of what? Yeah, Passover. It's uh, the context in which we have table fellowship with with Jesus. I bet you you know more about the Passover now than, than than you ever have. Other than you know, oh Monday Thursday we knew he was celebrating the Passover meal. You know we we we've heard of the Passover and things, but but he really went into uh, as as quickly as he went through all that. Um, it's a pretty thorough description of what the significant points of the Passover meal, and then also not just the once-a-year Passover, but then what would they do on a weekly basis on the Sabbath? Yeah, a mini one. Each time they would get together, Friday night, because after sundown, it was the next day. So sundown on Friday was the start of the Sabbath, which is why, for example, when we're reading the account of the crucifixion, the Jews wanted the bodies taken down from the cross before sunset, before the Sabbath. Otherwise, the bodies would have to remain until after the Sabbath. And that was a high festival. It was the, the Sabbath of the week of Passover, a high Sabbath. And so they didn't want it defiled by having these dead bodies up on the, these crosses outside Jerusalem during this pilgrim feast when everybody was coming into Jerusalem. Everybody extra was there. Comments, questions, observations, things that sort of stick out in your mind like, huh. Yeah, Mark. Go ahead. Oh, there. Um, if you look on your handout, 
Oh, you don't have a handout. Um, no, no, it's okay. Grab, grab a handout for you because he, he's got the chart on there on this handout. There's cup one is letter B, and then down letter E is the cup of redemption about the exodus, and then cup three is the cup of blessing. So we'll, we'll get into some of those details in just, uh, just a couple minutes. All right. So table fellowship. Table fellowship is really at the heart of the, the Passover things that he was talking about and about um, the Lord's Supper. So how would you describe the meaning of the term table? Table has something to do with a meal. Yeah, we sit at table with one another. Uh, when I'm describing this to, the, uh, uh, to maybe middle schoolers in confirmation class or a high school crowd, I say, uh, you have a sense of table fellowship at school when you come into the lunchroom. There are certain tables that you may sit at. And there are certain tables, if you were to sit at them, it would be unusual. You know, if I were in high school and I would go, if I had gone into the lunchroom and I sat down at the lunch table with all the football players, it would have been out of fellowship. <laughs> I, I didn't have table fellowship with that crowd because that was not my crowd. I, you know, I was in the choir, I was in the band, I was in drama, I was in other things. I could sit with the track runners because I did that, but, you know, we have that sense of table fellowship. Um, you sit down at the wrong table at the lunchroom and everybody kind of goes, that's table fellowship. Fellowship has something to do with what? So we got table, a meal, and fellowship is a what you have in common, the interaction. Yeah, a commonality. That that word from one of those first sessions we had, synaxis, the, the coming together of things, that's fellowship. We have a common purpose for which we for which we gather. So table fellowship, we're on number B here, letter B in here now. People who have something in common expressed that at a table eating a meal together and so it begins with you don't sit down and eat right away necessarily even even if you have a, a party you get together and what do you do first you talk yeah so it began with conversation or that 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 table talk and then they celebrated together by having a meal together and what, how did he describe sort of structured family um, table fellowship that we still experience today? Thanksgiving, yeah, Chris. There is, yeah, I think there really is a sense of that. You know, Sunday dinner, uh, everybody, you know, some families would always come together for the, the bigger meal on, on Sunday. Oh, yeah, absolutely. On the go. Go, go, go. Right. Yeah. And e even the idea of, of, of setting aside one meal a week to be able to say, this is, this is a, a sacrosanct that we will have a meal together at this time and in this place. And, yeah. Got to start somewhere. <laughs> 
If we're going to redeem it, we got to go, we got to start somewhere. But you're right. Yeah. I think we have a sense of that in the church as well. You know, the the whole you know we we kind of joke about uh, churches and potlucks and things, but it's that's the table fellowship idea. When you get together, you get together around food. We there's there there's a history history to that. So what was the most significant yearly table fellowship in Israel? Passover, absolutely. So the people of Israel were in slavery in the land of Egypt. God brought them out, led them to Mount Sinai, where who? Moses received the Ten Commandments and eventually led them to the Promised Land. And how did God work His great deliverance? Through the blood of a lamb, which was put on the door frames of their homes. So the angel of death would pass over them. Once a year celebration was a family meal. They gathered together in order to remember and they didn't just remember, but they also celebrated their freedom from slavery. And the, the Passover meal liturgy begins with the youngest child at the at the meal asking the oldest uh, head of the household at the meal, the father, why is this night different from all others? And the response from the father is, this is the night that our Lord set us free from slavery in Egypt. Now, if you watch The Passion of the Christ, the movie by uh, Mel Gibson a few years ago, um, it begins with, those words with, with sort of it, it's in there it, at the, the start of that movie it sort of begins with why is this night different from all others because one is the passover thing but also he's selling, he's telling you this night is all different because we're not being set free from slavery in egypt by this passover lamb we're being set free from sin slavery to sin by the true passover lamb so there's a there's a series of cups and and there's there's a liturgy to the once a year Passover meal. And if you if we look at the the Gospel of St. Luke, his account of the Passover meal that night, he emphasizes that there are two cups mentioned in Luke's Gospel. He begins the liturgy and he takes the first cup and says, "I've longed to um, uh, celebrate this Passover with you." and I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until I celebrate it again in my kingdom. Then he takes the bread, this is my body, and then he takes the second cup, which is really the third cup at that point, the cup of blessing, and says, uh, this is my cup of the New Testament, the new covenant. So Luke's Gospel is where we see the, the multiple cups that you have there. You've got the first cup, which is at the very beginning, and then you've got the second cup, the cup of redemption. And you've got the third cup, which is the cup of blessing. That's a, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that, whether there would be three you know, sort of ceremonial cups or if they, they would have each had their own cup at the table. And it might have been you know, your first glass of wine, your second glass of wine, and your third glass of wine. I, got, I, think, I have a feeling that's what it was. Um, but it was definitely part of the, the ritual there. 
So the first blessing over the, the day, uh, the festival of unleavened bread, was a blessing uh, to whom? Of course, to God. And how did he just sort of describe that? Toasting God. You know, toasting God for the wonderful drink. You know, God, you've, you've given us wine to, to rejoice our hearts, and, and it's sort of the height of drink is, is this gift of wine that you've given us. Um, food. There are, there are several particular foods. The bitter herbs reminds them of the, the bitterness of their slavery. The unleavened bread. Why, why did their bread have to be unleavened? Because they were in a, in the Passover lamb. Yes. Yeah. Well, for them, it was, uh, deliverance from death was what that symbolized for them. But then, uh, for us, it points to Jesus. Then there'd be Midrash, which is preaching. And then the narration of the Exodus, spoken by the Father. The cup of redemption. Uh, blessing to God for the deliverance, which was being um, celebrated and remembered at this meal. And they bless the bread, like we do. You know, you have a blessing before you eat. And then the breaking of the bread was the what? That was the start of the... The, the meal proper. Everything else was sort of conversation. Now the meal began. Now the meal began. And the food would be eaten. It's not just having it there. It's not just looking at it. It's not ceremonial food. It's food. You eat it. it it's, it's designed to be eating and participated in. Then the cup of blessing. Um, he showed the Israelites his activity among them as as Savior. Yep. And then they would have a grace to, to close things. Uh, they would do it once a year. Try to get there at least once in their life. Yeah. So how often and what day did the synagogue liturgy take place? Not just Passover synagogue, but I mean that was house meal. How often was the synagogue liturgy done? Every week. That would have been Saturday during the yeah Friday night was the was the meal and then Saturday morning they would go to church and they did try to attend synagogue um, each and every week. All right, and then you see the the weekly Passover meal outline condensed, celebrated every Friday night, a mini Passover. Um, number six, yeah, mini Passover. To remind the people of the Passover lamb, the lamb of God, slain for their sins. Yep. Um, Jesus did table fellowship a lot during his ministry. When you hear of him sitting at table with the Pharisees, with uh, Zacchaeus, with um, you know, you sit and eat with sinners. This is a this is a formal eating that they're taking. Uh, note of at those points. These are the Friday seders that would have been a weekly celebration that Jesus is having. So there he is, and typically it begins with them having a conversation. You know, Jesus is the local preacher come through, so he gets the honor of you know he gets to teach there, and they have a meal. Who they ate with and who they listened to was significant, which is why. The Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law and things were taking offense at who Jesus would eat with. They expected him to eat with them, of course, all the time, because you know they were the worthy ones. 
but he would also eat with those who they deemed unworthy, tax collectors, sinners. By, by identifying others as sinners, they're saying about themselves that they are not sinners. <laughs> well, yeah, it would have been would have been in someone's home. Um, it would have been it could have been a, a, a larger gathering area. These would have been uh, sort of hosted meals. So it would have been, hey, we're having, um, yeah, yeah, we're having uh, Friday Seder is going to be at the uh, at, at the Hortons this week. So everybody's over over there, that kind of a thing. There you go. <laughs> so on what occasion did Jesus institute the Lord's Supper? What context are we in? Yeah, the, the last Passover. I mean, because the Passover was always reminding them of Egypt, but also pointing toward Messiah. And, and Jesus took that last Passover and, and filled in all the blanks. He completed it. You know, no longer did the Passover needed to be celebrated. Uh, no longer did it, it need to be celebrated. But now we celebrate the Lord's Supper. You know, Jesus said, I am the Passover lamb. You know, I take, eat. This is my, this is the new covenant in my Blood, that's right. So, in which two ways did he describe being present there at the Last Supper? Locally, which means, you know, like, I'm here, I'm local. I'm not also in, I'm not in Michigan somewhere right now, too. I'm, I'm only here. So he was locally present at the table with them. But he also said, this is my body, this is my blood. And so he was also present in a... I'm... I want to shy away from the spiritual word, Kathy, only because um, there, there are some who will interpret Jesus' words at the Last Supper when he said, this is my body, this is my blood, will interpret that to say he meant it spiritually, not actually. And so they would say, is Jesus present in the Supper? They would say, oh yes, he is. And they intend it to mean spiritually. But we would say, sacramentally, because he says, this is my body. This is my blood. It does not represent it. It is not um, there in a um, symbolic way, but in an actual way, by his word, with the bread and wine. So so it it becomes one of those times when, when the words that we choose have to become very important, because it's when it gets confused throughout church history as to what Jesus' presence in the Lord's Supper really means. So we'll say sacramentally present, truly present in the bread and wine. So table fellowship gets summed up into what? You have two, what two parts are there of table fellowship? Yeah, there's, there's teaching and there's meal, which in our liturgy become what? Word and sacrament. So when we're getting together, we're, we're just doing what the church has always Done. Those who are believers in the one true God have always worshipped in this way. And so we come together and we worship in this way as well. Um, he talked about cutting a covenant. That was how they would make uh, agreements with one another. They would cut the animal in half and they would say, if I break my end of this agreement, you can, you can cut me in half. Yeah. And, but when God makes a covenant with, with Abraham, for example, he said, you know, lay out the animals in this way. And, and then a, a, the smoking pot, this, this burning, smoldering pot, 
passed through it. Moses or Abraham didn't pass through it, but God passed through it and said, I'm making the covenant. I'm holding all the cards in this. I'm making all the promises in this. So when Jesus, that's the that's the old covenant. One that you are my people, I will send a savior, and I will take you to the promised land. Jesus says, This is my blood. Remember, he's the lamb, right? You have to cut an animal in half. It has to die. He says, this is my blood of the new covenant. And now the new covenant is replacing the old covenant with the new covenant that says, my blood shed for you, my body broken for you, not simply to take you to a geographical nation, but to bring you to the true promised land of heaven. He's the one who makes who 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 makes the covenant, who is cut and who holds up his end of the bargain here. That's the blood of the new covenant that we get in in the uh, in the Lord's Supper and as Jesus is is instituting it. And when they when they had those two animals there, did they just say, "All right, let the buzzards to them," and off they went? What did they do with those two pieces? They ate it. They ate it. That was their participation in that covenant to say, we have made this covenant and literally we internalize the covenant. And this is what happened also in the temple during the sacrifices, the morning and evening sacrifices, the sacrifices that people would bring for different events and things like that, that food would then be eaten. The idea of a burnt offering is not that it was incinerated with nothing left. The idea of the burnt offering is like a cooked offering. You would, you would eat it. You, if you, you cut up a bowl, and you cook it, and you eat it. And so the sacrifices that they were making for atonement were then, how did they participate in it? They would bring the offering, and then they would also eat the offering. And the priests, that was their, uh, that was also their regular sustenance as well. That was their regular eating. And drinking. Yes, this is a formal legal binding agreement. Not this is not the only way that they made formal agreements. But this is the way they made some formal agreements. Um, read the book of Ruth, and you'll hear a little more about. Yes, yeah. Read read the book of Ruth. There's some. Um, Agreement. Ex- there, <laughs> there's some agreement exchanges in the Book of Ruth that are kind of interesting, involving taking off shoes, exchanging shoes. It's 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 wild. I I, I don't fully understand them. I, I you could do a whole whole story on that one. The Book of Ruth has some very interesting things in it. When you look at the Hebrew that I've that I've learned, it's very interesting things. We'll, we'll look at that someday. All right, fifteen. Jewish origins of worship. We should see how our liturgy today is it coming together to hear God's. Word and receive God's meal. A foretaste of what we will be doing for all eternity. So with table fellowship so central to the church's worship, what are your thoughts or do you have any thoughts about how frequently we celebrate the Lord's Supper? Okay. Okay. Some churches do. Has anyone attended a church with weekly communion? You guys have. Okay. 
You've been to one. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Um, we next week we can talk a little bit about how the frequency of communion changed over time, because up until the Reformation, the regular Sunday worship service would have always included the Lord's Supper, and but it was not always eaten and received by the people. So in the Reformation, the and they were doing them all day long during the week as well. They were having, they were, they were doing the, the, the Lord's Supper liturgy over and over and over and over and over again. But nobody was eating it, nobody was drinking it. So the, the total number of celebrations of the Lord's Supper at the Reformation went down because they stopped doing the daily masses for people that were paid and sort of just empty repetition. They were, they brought it back just to Sunday and feast days. But the total receptions of the Lord's Supper by the people went from occasionally to weekly. They would start receiving the body and blood of Jesus instead of just watching it happen. And that was the big switch. So there, there were less frequent doings of it because it was empty repetition for pay into the focus of what it truly was, table fellowship with God, word and sacrament, Hearing and eating became the, the weekly pattern of that. It wasn't until the 1600s and, um, and, and through the 1700s and 1800s that the frequency of communion began to decline in our churches, and not always for healthy reasons. And I can explain, we'll talk more about that next week. I'm out of time here this morning. But um, we'll, we'll explain a little bit more about pietism and why, why the frequency of celebrations in our churches went from every week sometimes as infrequently as quarterly, four times a year, divine service. You'd be in church every week, but only four times a year would you have communion.